0: If you've been with us the last few weeks, you will know we're in the middle of a teaching series looking at our vision, what we are about. Our vision is to see the glory of God known across London and the nations. And over the first few weeks, we laid a theological foundation for what we believe the future is and what God is doing with the world and in London. And over these, these three weeks, last week, this week and the following week, we are looking at the tangible, touchable, smellable, meetable nature of the glory of God the glory of God is not is not like a wafty cloudy thing that you may or may not see passing in the morning and then it's gone again the glory of God is seen in stuff primarily in you and me and we looked last week at the fact that the glory of God is first and foremost known in men and women fully alive in Jesus Christ this week we are looking at the glory of God being known in community in what we do as as a community as a church together in jesus name and next week i'm super excited we're looking at the glory of god in culture in the stuff we produce and how we relate to one another as we go about our everyday lives but today community And it's what we're going to be looking at over the next just half an hour or so and what i want to do is touch into 1 peter 2 into this text and then i want to pull out one key idea and i want to throw as it were a biblical boomerang and you're going to wonder where the heck we're going and we're going to lose sight of 1 peter 2 for some time but we are going to come back to it at the end if that's all right is that okay so 1 peter chapter 2 and i want to pull out just this key idea from verse 4 and 5. as you come to him Let me just say, you might have come to church for lots of reasons. As church, the core reason we believe to come here is for Jesus' sake, to meet with God, and we hope, whether you're a Christian, whether you're not a Christian here today, the one thing you do come away with, even just a greater idea of who this God may be, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. So Paul uses this metaphor, this image for us, that as we gather together, we are not just a bunch of people in a room together in Victoria. Actually when we come in Jesus' name for his sake, what is happening is something similar to the Old Testament temple. If you were a Jew walking to Jerusalem, you would have walked up to the city walls and beyond the city walls you would have seen this huge building, this temple, where people would go to meet with God. And what Paul is saying that as you gather together, you are like another brick being added to this temple. Trinity Church London, and that in this place, together, when we come in Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit, this is where we now meet with God. That we don't go to Jerusalem, we don't go to some Mecca, we go to a community, to people. We're having a discussion in the car on the way in with Micah. Is Trinity Church London the building or the people? He's very firmly fixed that it's the building. I'm trying to work on his (laughs) theological grounding. It's the people. Actually, we come together. We are this new temple and this is the idea i want to kind of throw as it were and we're going to come back to 1 peter 2 because biblical commentators will tell us that from the beginning of genesis the world the universe the heavens and the earth has been created as a temple of god for us as humanity That the galaxies, the solar systems, everything around us is actually one large meeting place. And at the end of Genesis 1, God creates us in his image. As it were, images of himself places us in this temple so that we might live around. Not that we have to go somewhere to meet with God, but wherever we are, we are in the presence of God because we are in his temple. God is a, the the universe is a God-saturated place if we have eyes to see it. what we have done is taken the center of gravity of the glory of God and we have walked away from the glory of God and tried to find glory in other things and so Paul says in Romans 3 that the chief mark of sin is that we have fallen short of the glory of God not that you do a few bad things on a Tuesday morning but we have fallen short of the very nature of who God is and we are now blind to the fact that the world is brimming with glory wherever we go and as we walk away from the central orbiting being of the universe what we've done is we've fractured everything and everything that used to be in perfect sync is now broken is now colliding and crashing and we live don't we today with the kind of grinding reality of the brokenness of life can anyone testify to that you're like yeah there's 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 a lot of life that just feels like it grinds this is not orbiting smoothly because we have walked away ...the people from God who is at the very centre of everything. But what has happened is this, as we've walked away from the glory of God as a centre, we still live, I would suggest, haunted by this sense of glory. I would suggest that London, even today, is haunted by a world that we have lost somewhere. There is a sense in which there is more to life than this, but many of us can't quite put our finger on what that is, and it comes in fleeting, strange moments. You're sitting on the tube, cramped in with a hundred other smelly, tired people. You just want to get home, and you suddenly, this question like, "Is is there more to life than going to work, coming home, going to work, coming home, crashing at the weekend and doing that again? You think, there is a sense in which there is an awareness that there there must be more than the stuff around us. Blaise Pascal, the French philosopher, said this, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. There is this awareness that there is a world in which we once lived in that we are only living in the shadows of right now. C.S. Lewis wrote this in Mid-Christianity, he says, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. If I'm seeking continually to fill my heart with something and I'm looking to everything and I get to 30 and 40 and 50 and you read the stories of the celebrities who have tasted everything and they still say that it's not to be found in this world the only logical conclusion is that there is another world that we are haunted by glory and it's all to be found in God himself not the stuff of this world (laughs) thanks Cheeto You can clap in this place, by the way, if you're new with us, you're very welcome, if you're not a Christian, if you just want to clap at random points, feel very free, you just go for it. I I, I appreciate clapping, it's better than booing. (laughs) We've always been looking for glory though, this is my suggestion this morning. We've always been haunted by this sense of another world out there, a bigger picture. Some of the earliest archaeological finds now that we're told of are small temple-like structures that there is this very innate sense in us that there has always been a higher being, a higher life, something outside of the ordinary that we have wanted to connect with. So some of the very first structural things that we have made, the very first technological advances were in a way to reach out to this higher realm that we felt was out there. And we created these little temple structures where we know, well, if we are gonna meet with some higher being, some higher God, then he's not gonna come to us like, we're well, having breakfast or on the toilet. We've gotta to create a special thing where we can go in there I and mean, because if he is holy and divine and infinite it has got to be something special and so we create these little structures and sometimes we can look back and say, Well, that's, they, those were the primitive ages when we didn't really know about science and things like that here's my suggestion this morning that we are continually making temple-like structures so that we can connect with glory again Everywhere we go, we are trying, as it were, to create little lives, little worlds, little moments where we can connect with glory and transcendence and a higher life than just what we are living with. Because the day-to-day is quite mundane, if we're honest. J.K. Smith says this, he's a sociologist, and he, he, he says that our shopping centres, go to Blue Water, go to Westfields, these are some of our modern-day temples. He says, like countless others that are now emerging around the world, they offer a rich embodied visual mode of evangelism that attracts us. There is a gospel whose power is beauty, which speaks to our deepest desires. It compels us to come, not through dire moralisms, but rather with a winsome invitation to share share in this envisioned good life this is why I hate shopping most of the time because I look at all this stuff I'm like yes I want all of this stuff and I can't afford it I don't want to know it's even there but it's this sense of this is temple like structure that says look, you can connect with something more beautiful more glorious more than you are just for a couple of hours yeah you'll be poor and regret it by seven o'clock in the evening but just for a few hours some escapism what about cinemas? you kind of go to this place for a couple of hours you get too much popcorn than what you should really be eating and it's a sense of escape where you can get caught up in another story other than the one yourself because your story has lots of grime and hurt and pain and loss and grief as part of it and yet you can come into this sense of transcendence just for two hours and be part of another story and get lost in it what about headphones bear with me for a moment here because i'm just suggesting stuff here Apparently the headphone industry now is worth something like 15 to 16 billion pounds and the trajectory of the industry is like by 2024 I was reading this week it's estimated to be 34 billion pounds just for headphones like the airports are expensive but that's, that's like a lot of money why are we spending more and more money on headphones? This is my suggestion. We are creating little temple-like moments because you can sit on the northern line with a 100 other smelly people who just wanna get home as well and you can stick in your headphones and you can somehow transcend. You can somehow connect with something. You can have your body and your spirit crushed and yet your heart can begin to soar because you've got Adele on and hometown glory. It's just suggestions. Hundreds of thousands of people are going to go to football games. Why don't we just watch it at home and let's watch match of the day? Because I would suggest there's something in the collective nature of being together, glorying in Chelsea, winning 2-0 over Crystal Palace. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Here's our problem, though. No, it's not Chelsea, Charles. That's not our problem. That's the solution. (laughs) Our problem is that every time we touch that glory, that that temple-like moment, it doesn't last and it doesn't touch the deepest parts of our soul. And God knows this. And so God, in his grace, he tells his people, the Israelites, back hundreds and thousands of years ago, he tells them to create a tabernacle, a tent-like structure, where he, in his glory, would choose to dwell amongst us. Because he knows our hearts are bereft of glory. He knows our hearts are craving something more than just every day of what we're living with. And so he says, I'm going to come and dwell with you. And so he tells Moses to build this tent-like structure. So you've got to imagine, like, a million or so um, Jewish people out in the wilderness and he tells Moses get your best um, uh, craftspeople together and build this tent and I will choose in my glory to dwell in the midst of you so that you can be connected to this higher life to transcendence the beauty and power all the time and this is what we read when the tent had finally been finished said so then the cloud this fiery glory cloud covered the tent of the meeting and the glory the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and the Lord said every time my glory moves to the left or the right you're to break camp and follow my glory because wherever you go I am going to be with you Years go by and the Israelites do well and King David becomes one of the most successful kings of the ever was. And he got this very awkward point when he realized that his house was better than... God's house, and I guess one morning, or maybe over many mornings, he kind of looked out over his incredible balcony that MTV would really like to have, kind of have a look around. And he looks at God's tent, basically in his own backyard, and says, "Something is not right here. If you are the God of the heavens and the earth, you deserve a better house than this." And so he creates, he puts blueprints together, sorry, and his son builds. A glorious temple to the Lord's and we're told even before Solomon gets to the dedication God comes down in his mercy and he fills this place with his glory so that the priests cannot even stand and they're on their faces on the floor because God says I'm gonna put my name here amongst you what happens though, as we always do, is we taste joy and peace in the glory of God, and yet, in our weird stupidness, we, we walk away from that. The Israelites did that again and again and again, and so the Babylonians come through at one stage, and they sweep through the nation, and they destroy the temple, which for the, for the Israelites at that point, wasn't like, oh shucks, we'll have to build another one. This was spiritually and morally and nationally devastating. Because this was where God's glory dwelt. This was their hope of another world that would soon be coming around the corner. And if this is gone, it signals that the glory of God has left them. And so they're bereft of any hope. A few generations later, some Jews come back together. And say, we're going to build the temple again so that God's glory can reside with us and we can connect again with him. And yet they built this thing and some of the elders who had heard stories of the previous temple were told wept and grieved because this temple was nothing like the old temple. They'd heard of the glory of the past generations and they looked at this very plain, much smaller building and it was nothing like what they knew had been in the past. And yet one prophet said this, Haggai, he says, don't worry because the latter glory is gonna be more than the former glory. And the people at the time would have been scratching their heads because they would have looked at this building and said, mm, don't think so, Haggai, you might have got this one wrong because this glory is less than that glory. And he's saying, no, 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 I'm telling you that the latter glory is going to be more than the former glory. And as this kind of status quo set in, it's just like confusion, and as generations began to pass, and as history moved on, and as God's people moved on, one young boy was born called Jesus, who emerged outside of the capital in a nowhere place called Bethlehem, and he began to grow up with this very strange awareness that he was the chosen Messiah of his own people, and he had the identity as the Son of God, who was himself the Glory of God, and was that latter glory to come? Because Haggai never meant to talk about the physical building that they could touch that was made of stones. He was always speaking about a human being who was to come, who was going to carry all the glory of God in his own being. And Jesus Christ grew up with this awareness that, as Hebrews one three says, "I am now the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature." John, who was one of Jesus' best friends, he says we've seen His glory, we've touched Him, we've talked with Him, and he writes, the Word has become flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen His glory, he says. And that word dwelt among us is an interesting word because he uses this word that is used in the Greek translation of the Hebrew Testament for tabernacle, just tent. So it says, the word has come amongst us and has literally tented amongst us. That where God came and dwelt in his glory in a tent and then in a temple, God has now chosen to come and in his glory dwell amongst us in a five foot, six foot, we don't know human being in Jesus Christ. And this is the crazy audacious thing that when Jesus walked around, he acted like he was this living Talking mobile temple you've got to imagine this Jesus knew he was now the glory of God the residing manifest glory of God and he also knew that the glory of the Lord dwelt in Jerusalem a couple of miles wherever he might have been and wherever Jesus went he acted like he was a mobile temple which is why the religious leaders were so infuriated with him because he would walk around miles from the temple and he would offer out forgiveness to someone who just asked for it And the religious leaders saying, no, 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 we've got structures for that. You need to go and you need to take a sacrifice. You need to go to Jerusalem. That's where you get forgiveness from. He would hand out the healing and deliverance like anyone's business. And the religious leaders would say, no, there's a temple for doing that because you meet God at the temple. And yet Jesus had this attitude that I am now the living presence of God. If you come to me, you can get everything you need. And you don't need to go to the temple anymore. This is good news. And, and I mean, he did really annoy the religious leaders. Um, at one point he told them, and he said, look, I've got a challenge for you guys. You, you knock down the temple, It took them 46 years to build. You knock it down. This wasn't like, this, is, this was sacred for them. I like the fact that Jesus was sometimes a little bit troublesome. You knock it down and I'll rebuild it in three days. I'll do it. Like No JCBs or anything like that. It's like, I'll, I'll do it for you. And they were we're told they're outraged because this took them decades, a generation of men and women to build this temple. And they thought when they were talking about this physical structure, well they didn't realize that Jesus was foretelling of a new era when he himself would be crucified and resurrected in three days as the true glory of the presence of the Lord. Ezekiel prophesied this amazing moment, and in the Old Testament, the the glory of God was signalized with a fiery cloud. And he tells of this moment in chapter 10 of Ezekiel of a moment where the glory of the Lord would depart from the physical temple. And commentators tell us and point out that the glory of the Lord departs from the east gate, and moves further outside of the city walls on the east side of the city and moves outside of the city walls and hovers outside of Jerusalem where we're told the mount of the skull exists golgotha and Jesus himself as the glory of the lord hundreds of years later moves out of the temple through the east gate and goes to a cross and is crucified for our wrongdoing for us falling short of his glory and he takes all of that punishment on himself and he is raised again by the glorious father to a brand new life so that our lives may orbit the glory of god again and we might find hope and beauty and transcendence not in the cinema not in the headphones not in the shopping center but in jesus christ amen amen And Jesus does more, though, because a few weeks later, he ascends to the right hand of the Father, and we go to Jesus. But Jesus is not satisfied with leaving the glory of God like this ethereal thing. He wants to keep the glory of God tangible and meetable. So what does he do? In Pentecost, we're told that Jesus sends his glory, the spirit of Jesus, upon his own people 120 people at that point and what happens in that moment the glory of the lord we're told in 1 peter four 14, the glory of the lord descends on everyone in community when they come together in jesus name so that we now as community become the glory of god for london we become the glory of God for the nations you look around at us you think really we're a very ordinary bunch I don't feel like the glory of the Lord this morning I feel like I would rather be in bed we together are the glory of God being represented for London amen so that people can meet God we are the body of Jesus we're told there's this amazing moment where John who knew Jesus he has this vision of Jesus and we're told that he hears. voice of Jesus and he turns around in Revelation chapter 1 and he doesn't see Jesus but he sees Jesus's church it's this amazing moment that when Jesus says come and look at me what John sees first and foremost is the church you know if you're part of this community if you're part of another church and you're with us the first taste of Jesus people are most likely going to get is you us, as a community, living together, we're gonna be the first taste of glory because this is how God has made it for us. Listen to what John records of Jesus' prayers. He says, this is Jesus praying, he says, the glory that you have given me, praying to the Father, I have given to to them. Just let that sink in for a moment. So Jesus before the Father, and he says, look, you've given me glory, glory of the infinite Son of God, I am now, giving it to Trinity Church London. Do you know that? I don't know all of that means, I have to be honest. It sounds amazing. All the glory that Jesus has, he is now bestowing it upon us, so that our identity is now co-joined with him. Paul says this, this is our biblical mandate, this kind of exclamation, to him, to God, be glory in the church.
1: We find that quite difficult
0: to believe, because like, it's a, it's a problem with London, because London's so full of shiny, exciting things. Yeah? Instagram, all sorts of stuff. Like, there, there are a 100 very cool things you could be doing this weekend. Very attractive people you could be doing things with, very exciting things, drinking amazing drinks, Instagram-ready moments. And then you come to church, and you look around, and it all feels very ordinary. Can, I, can anyone, I mean, like I moved to set up this church, so I'm not like dogging on anyone, I'm just saying like, this is, it's just, we're ordinary, aren't we? Maybe you don't feel that, I feel quite ordinary myself. You're leaving me high and dry here. <laughs> and yet what we're told is that God's glory is known in this very ordinary community when we come together and relate like God, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit relate to one another. We call Trinity Church London for a very particular reason. Because we have God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit at the very centre of who we are. In the church, for the sake of London. It's a very straightforward name, I hope you get that. It does what it says on the tin. We're for God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, his glory in the church for the sake of London. And what I want to do just for the next few minutes is just share three shifts I think we're going to each have to make in our own way if we're going to come together in such a way that the glory of God is known in how we relate. Because for a lot of us, to be honest, when we talk about community, um, we'd we'd rather do our spirituality by ourselves. Apparently 20% of people right now would, would rather say, look, I, I, I like to be spiritual, but there's no way I'm gonna touch any sense of organized religion. Like We don't like organized anything at the moment, see, and organized in front of em- anything and all these kind of red flags go up and that's got to be a, you know, a, a, a recipe for abuse and oppression etc etc, especially when you talk about organized religion, it's like a double whammy, there's no way I'm going anywhere near that, especially when you've got amazing preachers on YouTube and you've got Hillsong on your Apple Music, Like, why would you need to go to church? And yet God has ordained something beautiful when ordinary people come together that cannot be replicated when we're by ourselves. And so three shifts, I would suggest, are gonna have to be made in our own hearts. And the first is this. We're gonna have to move through self-protection to vulnerability. Because you come into contact with any person for long enough and you are gonna come away at some point hurt, slightly bruised, and sometimes with some deep wounds. Anyone testify? No one's clapping at this point, okay. <laughs> Even the people you love most, you might be married to that person, they are often the people who cause you the, the, the worst wounds. And so it would be strange if we didn't come together like this and expect some kind of just like, oh that wasn't so fun that conversation didn't lead me with life i feel a bit bruised by that moment and what can happen those kind of moments accumulate is that we begin to put self-protection above vulnerability and we say i am never going to let that kind of thing happen to me again and so we hide part of ourselves and we cover part of ourselves and that looks like all sorts of stuff For some people, it's just never being around, never lingering. For some people, it's going the opposite direction, just become loud and always joking or whatever it might be. But there is self-protection that we put over ourselves because we say, I do not want to be hurt again. I never want to move towards someone in vulnerability and have them reject me in any sense. So we just self-protect. But if we do that, community will never be built because community and this community is going to thrive on two realities. You being known, and you knowing other people. You being known, and knowing other people. Does that make sense? I actually, you, can feel, you could be here for a year and still feel quite isolated because you feel like no one actually really knows me. And at some point, if you want to walk into this place and know I found community here, you, you have at some point to let yourself be known in trusted places. I'm not like gonna get a microphone of right, everyone, Darkest Secret Sunday, let's just walk through everything that you're walking through right now. But actually there's a sense in which, in the right moments, you just share with people, this is actually who I am, what I'm walking through, what I need prayer for. There's this amazing moment in Romans 15, It says this, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And I'd always read that quite passively, Welcome, one. So, sure, like I'm a white English person. I'll be polite to anyone who comes towards me. It's not in my nature to be difficult. I'll smile at anyone who comes towards me, and I kind of assume that being a, like welcoming was like, yeah, they come to church if they walk towards me. Of course, I'm going to shake their hand and smile and be pleasant. But actually, the word that Paul uses there is an active, moving towards word. It's not ordinarily used to talk about welcoming. It's ordinarily used to talk about carrying stuff to a place. So you what are you carrying today? I'm, carrying, I'm welcoming my bag to work. I'm welcoming my laptop to work. That's the kind of the word that is being used. And so when we talk about welcome, it's not like standing there. If someone comes to me, I'll say hello to them. It's a sense of which I'm going to carry myself before somebody else and risk them rejecting me to welcome them. And that changes everything, doesn't it? rather than sitting at the end of church saying, I wonder who's gonna talk to me today, I wonder who I can carry myself before and say hello to. And it means being vulnerable, and a lot of it, like, it's very ordinary stuff. Do you wanna get a coffee during the week? For some people that is the scariest sentence, because what if they say, Oh, why would I wanna spend an hour with you? No thanks, I've got other things to do. Like, I don't know what goes through your mind, but there's a, there's a risk of it, they might say, that's right, right, I'm busy this week, and you're like, that can be the worst. Like, that, that's what it means. I'm going to bring myself towards you and see if there might be some connection. You'd have to be BFFs with everybody, but just some connections that begin to be made because you are moving towards them, knowing this that the vent, I told you we'd get back to the passage, At the end of in verse four, as you come to him, Peter says, a living stone rejected by men. The very person at the center of this community is one who was rejected by you. Pointy finger. Sorry, I shouldn't do that as a preacher. I rejected Jesus and yet he continually walks towards me and continually welcomes me in until my heart is soft towards him. This whole community is built on a man who was rejected by us. So as we know that and worship that Jesus, maybe we could just take some of the fig leaves away and move towards another person and build something to the glory of God, amen? That's the first shift that we're gonna have to make. The second shift is this. We're gonna have to move from our dream of of community to the reality of community because there is a dream kind of community, or there's a dream church. You don't say it out loud very often, um, but there's like an imagined community that you would be part of. And the reality of any family, any relationship, any friendship, it, it is very different to the dream you might create in your brain. And part of us doing something for the glory of God here is allowing that dream to crash and the reality that is before us to emerge. Some of you know of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German Christian in the 1940s. He was a a very ordinary resistance against the Nazi party and in fact was involved in some attempts after much wrestling with his conscience to try and kill Hitler and stop him. And one of the attempts he was part of is now um, Valkyrie where Tom Cruise is part of his Hollywood thing. He was part of that behind the scenes to try and stop this evil regime. And he was caught just before the war ended. He was killed with months to go. But he lived with this passion for a strong church community in an antagonistic society to flourish. And he wrote this about the need for community. He says this, innumerable times, a whole Christian community has broken down because it has spring from a wish dream. An imagination, basically, the serious Christian set down for the first time in a Christian community is likely to bring with him or her a very definite idea of what Christian life together should be, and try to realise it. But God's grace speedily shatters such dreams. I'm hoping this is good news, by the way. Don't like, oh my God, what is this church? <laughs> Only that fellowship which which faces such disillusionment with all its unhappy and ugly aspects begins to be what it should be in God's sight, begins to grasp the faith in the promise that was given to it. The sooner this shock of disillusionment comes to an individual and to a community, the better for both. A community which cannot bear and cannot survive such a crisis which insists upon keeping its illusions when it should be shattered, permanently loses in that moment the promise of Christian community. Sooner or later, it will collapse. Every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if the genuine thing is to survive and flourish. That means looking around at the community that we have right now and saying, these are the people I'm going to give myself to. I'm not waiting for someone else to arrive. These are the people I'm going to commit my life to. And in that process, God will do something wonderful in seeing something flourish. Amen. And the third is this. We're going to have to move through convenience to sacrifice. Jesus speaks about this community being built on this cornerstone. He quotes from Isaiah and he says, for it stands in scripture, behold, I'm laying in Zion, a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for those of you who believe, um, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And this wasn't a sad moment for Jesus like a a, a sad but unfortunate moment. This was Jesus' deliberate choice to sacrifice his life, live a cross-shaped life that ended in his death. That was his choice so that resurrection power might be released in his body through his Holy Spirit and these kind of communities would be birthed amongst the nations. Resurrection power and life only comes about through sacrifice. You cannot experience resurrection life, joy, power, the beauty of people coming together who would never normally come together unless there is some form of sacrifice along the way. You look around the room today and the thing that I love that is beginning to happen amongst us is that we all look so different. I think it's amazing. I think it's beautiful because sociology would not put us together only someone like jesus in his glory and his beauty and his resurrection power would put people with varying skin colors and backgrounds and experiences and eco- uh, economic backgrounds together in one room for one purpose to glorify his name and to bless this city only one person and his name is jesus but to continually build on this, we are going to have to sacrifice, and not sacrifice just for the sake of sacrificing. I've heard it's a very- virtuous thing as a christian to sacrifice so i'm just going to find random things in my life to sacrifice there's nothing like good in that we sacrifice for a vision we sacrifice for something beyond this moment we sacrifice because we believe if i sacrifice this whatever it might be my time my energy my cultural preferences my, my money if i can sacrifice this i've seen something of glory i've seen what god could do beyond this moment and if i sacrifice i am believing for the greater in the future we're told in Hebrews 12 that Jesus he looked at the cross with all of his pain and shame and sacrifice and for the joy that was set before him he endured the cross the only reason we live a sacrifice life is because we see something beyond this and we follow Jesus through the crucifix we take up our own cross believing that as we sacrifice resurrection power will be released so let me suggest some sacrifices that we might have to make to see the glory of God increasingly known in this community right now we're gonna to have to sacrifice some of our cultural preferences amen we're gonna to have to sacrifice some of our cult. if we want to build a church Jesus Church because do you know Jesus Church isn't white it's not like it's a white church and other cultures get to play no 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 this is Jesus Church is the nations on display black white Asian, European, wherever you come from, whatever tribe, you are part of Jesus' church. It's a glorious, multicolored, multicultured, multinational church. And if we are going to see this kind of church arise that people would be curious about, it is going to take all of us at some point sacrificing cultural preference for how we would like to do church. And honestly, I don't know what that's gonna look like, but when we bump up to those minute moments, we're gonna to have to be willing to say, sure, "I'll I'll drop that like, white Britishness to one side because I wanna do something that is glorious in the sight of God and London, where people ask questions. It's gonna take that stuff. So I'm just gonna put it out to you. Would you be willing to, to sacrifice some of your like, preference, even the way we do church? So for some of you, like, oh, we sing for so long at this church. You're like, oh, I haven't we sung three songs already? For some of you, are like, why are we stopping already? Like, I'm just warming up, and my body's now just getting going. We're going to have to drop some of our, our preferences. Some of you think I talk for way too long. I'm sorry. <laughs> I do sometimes, I actually admit that. I sometimes I go, I'm like, why did I talk for so long? Some of you, I don't know, not many of you, me, maybe, maybe think I could talk longer. You're gonna have to drop your preferences, yeah. I take the laugh, as like, no, no one's thinking that. (laughs) I'm ad-libbing now, so I should stop. You get the point, though. It's gonna be moments where you just have to say, look, I'll I'll drop that for the sake of this community so that God's glory would be known. It means sacrificing sometimes, being out late on a Saturday night, because you know, I wanna be at Sunday morning fresh so that I can give my best to my church family. Some of that's a big deal and I'm going to get to bed early so I can be awake early can have prayed for this church pray to my friends ask God what can you do to encourage through me some others around me I'm not on a rota today that's good what can I do to bless this community for some of us it's going to be money some of us have the gift of finance it's going to be saying, look, I believe that God is going to do something amazing through this church to bless London. I'm, I'm willing to sacrifice some of my finance so that God will bless this city and that other people might rejoice in Jesus because this church plant exists. It's going to mean sacrificing. But this is why. Verse nine. But you are a chosen race. Believe that? A royal priesthood a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you Trinity Church London may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light so what is our calling that we may proclaim his excellencies his perfections his beauty his glory his power amongst us so that London might one day come amongst us not just through your lips but through your words and your deeds and how we are with one another and sense something of this craving we have for glory in this life. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're the temple of God. We're the true tabernacle. We're the true temple. We are Jesus here on earth. We are him. Amen?